0: We are continuing this morning in our series, The Gospel of Abraham, and the title for today's message is Fear Not. Now according to the wisest of all Jedi Masters, Yoda, fear is the path to the dark side. In all reality, fear is something that we all face. And fear is often very real. When I was a child is one of Olive's favorite stories. (sighs) I don't remember how old I was, but I had seen the music video for Michael Jackson's song Thriller. And around this time I had seen a bit of the movie The Fly, neither of which I was allowed to see. (laughs) These two things scared me so bad. That for a long time, I could not fall asleep unless I was underneath the covers. You know, because no one could see me. (laughs) Well, I shared a room with my older brother, and we had bunk beds, and I slept on the top bunk. One night in the middle of the night, I was awakened by a noise, and I peered out from beneath the covers, and I realized that somehow in the middle of the night... I had flipped around, and my head was now at the foot of the bed. This is where the ladder was. And someone, a dark, mysterious, hooded figure, was staring right at me. So I dove back under the covers. Again, can't see me. After a moment, I peered out again, still there couple more times under the covers, peer up, nope, still there. Finally, I mustered all my courage, and I decided, I'm going to hit this person. So I reared back, and I slapped as hard as I could. Bam! I slapped the wall. You see, I had not flipped around in the bed. And I was not looking at someone climbing the ladder. I was looking at my own shadow (laughs) against the wall. And so after apologizing to the rest of the family that I had now woken, I struggled to fall back asleep because sometimes fear is irrational and not real. Let's read Genesis 12. Please do not use any of these fears against me. (laughs) I no longer sleep under the covers, just in case you're wondering. Genesis 12, 10 through 20. Now there was famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, "'I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, "'and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, "'This is his wife.'" Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This morning, We're going to break down this passage in two ways. We're going to look at fear and faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the solid rock that is Jesus Christ this morning. We thank you that through faith our feet are anchored on him. And as the song we just sang a moment ago says, he's never failed me yet. And he won't. Father, help us this morning to look beyond and above the things that we might fear and see to the truer and better heavenly realities so that our faith and our trust might be strengthened. Lord, just help us to see things as we should, to see things with a heavenly gaze. Father, this morning we ask that you would speak to us through your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fear. I think we're beginning to see rather quickly in Abram's life some fear. Last week we began his story. Abraham, who at this time in his life is known as Abram, God calls him to leave his home, to leave his country, to leave his family to leave all that he had known and go to a place that God would show him. God promised to bless Abram and make his name great. He promised that through his seed, his offspring, the nations would be blessed. And we learned how this is fulfilled through Christ as this blessing has now been extended to Gentile and Jewish believers alike all who would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ through faith. So Abram went, and as the letter, of, the letter to the Hebrews shows us, he did so by faith. He took God at his word, that through him the promised seed would come, and he obeyed. Abram was promised a family, but he had no child. And he was old, and his wife was barren. He was promised a land, but he had no soil of his own to cultivate. He lived with promise, but he was still waiting. Remember, he was 75 years old in the passage we read last week. He's still waiting. He was promised blessing, but as we've read today, he experienced famine in the land. Now, it's often in these moments when all hope seems lost, When we despair and we see that we have nothing in and of ourselves to offer God, that God works. He shows his faithfulness. Verse 10 tells us that there is famine in the land. Canaan is a unique land. It only has two rainy seasons. And the failure of either of these seasons would be immediately felt. Especially in a dry region like the Negev, where Abram was. Now, I think when we think of Israel, often you know we, we think of things like the land flowing with milk and honey, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's pretty arid climate, and yet they grow crops and they have you know flocks of sheep and whatnot. So it I think it's somewhat different than what we often imagine it to be. I think it's hard for us even now, especially considering our abundance, to think what it would be like to experience a famine of this proportion. But during a time like this, when there was no means of bringing food from a great distance, people had to depend on the annual harvest or their flocks for food. And so this was a time when famine was a very real threat to life. And so it would not have been uncommon for people to sojourn to a place like Egypt where the Nile River was uh, for food during a famine. Famine is a reoccurring theme in the Old Testament. Famines are at times the direct result of divine judgment on God's people because of a specific sin of the people or the rulers. During David's reign, Israel experienced a three-year famine because of the sins of King Saul. Saul. During the reign of King Ahab, there was severe famine in Samaria because he had built a temple to Baal. This was certainly one of the ways that God dealt with his people in the Old Testament. It was part of the curse of the Old Covenant for not obeying God. But more often in scriptures, famines were not a result of God's direct judgment over specific actions of sin, but more so because of the broader curse of the fall. Genesis 3 tells us that not only was mankind cursed, but so was the entirety of creation. And now the ground would not produce like it did before the fall. Famines are part of the natural world under the broader curse of the fall. Because of the continued effects of the fall, famines, pestilence, drought, and other natural disasters are still a part of the world that we live in. It rains on the just and the unjust and... Sometimes it doesn't rain on the just and the unjust. And so while we might still experience famines and pestilence, droughts and whatnot, new covenant believers can be assured that this is not God's direct judgment upon his people for individual actions of sin or disobedience. Jesus took our judgment upon himself and there now remains no judgment for us. But it is the result of the fall and it is that broader curse of sin still in this world. We also see, looking throughout the scriptures, that God often orchestrates events in such a way that famine is used as a means to steer his plan forward. Famine drives Abram to Egypt in our passage today, Isaac to the land of the Philistines, Jacob and his family to Egypt, and Naomi and her family to Moab, as seen in the book of Ruth, all to steer and work out his plan for their lives. This famine is the beginning of Abram's fears. The time between Genesis twelve four and twelve ten is unknown. It could have been a number of weeks, could have been months, could have been years. But Abram seems to be losing sight of the promises of God. And as we're going to see over the next few weeks, this is kind of a pattern in his life. He makes the logical choice to him to sojourn to Egypt for a time. There's food there, and he is afraid of starving to death. And so Abram makes this decision to head to Egypt, but there's a problem beginning to surface. He's fearful, and his fear is escalating. I'm just going to say this. Abram is not a good husband at times. Ladies, be careful if your husband ever says something like this to you. <laughs> Abram says to Sarah, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. He's laying it on thick. (laughs) And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, in Minnesota, we have a word for this. We would say, ufta. In case you're wondering, that's UFF apostrophe D-A. And this is the word you use when words don't really do, when you need just a sound. You can thank the Norwegians. So what is he thinking? Well, Abram is anticipating that when they get to Egypt, things are going to go bad. He's going to have some trouble. So he devises this deceptive scheme. Now, there's partial truths to it, Sarai was indeed a half-sister. Let's note it was a very different time. <laughs> Actually, in Abram's culture, before you know being called out, bizarrely enough, it was considered kind of a point of status if you were married to your half-sister. I don't get that, but But this is a sort of half-lie. But none of that really matters because he is being deceptive. He is trying purposely to deceive to save his own skin. And to make matters worse, he's putting his wife in harm's way to achieve his own protection. He's afraid of losing his life, but he doesn't seem too afraid for Sarai. He doesn't seem too afraid of her being sexually exploited or of her dying. I don't know if Abram was aware of it, but there was a story in ancient Egypt called The Tale of the Two Brothers. And this story describes Pharaoh falling in love with a married woman, taking her into his house and having her husband killed. Whether he knew this story or not, it's, it's not hard to imagine rulers taking whatever they want and removing anything or anyone that might get in their way. <coughs> David. The cough was not in my notes, if you're wondering. Here's the thing. Abram is not being totally irrational. His plan is horrific, but his fear is not unfounded. There is real famine, and there is a real possibility that Pharaoh would take his wife and kill him. And so there's a real potential for danger here. These are all very real possibilities, real dangers that Abram is feeling. And so there is a sort of logic to his fear just as there's a logic to our fears. Fear certainly can be very irrational, but most of us, when we are afraid, we have very rational reasons as to why. There are real stresses, real circumstances, real problems, real dangers that we face. But it's how we handle these very real possibilities that will affect our peace and our security. Abram was being driven by fear. He wasn't trusting God's promises, which included provision and protection. When fear is driving, our trust in God takes a back seat. Now, what are some things that might cause us to fear today? Well, I think the list really could be kind of endless, so we'll, we'll keep it short. We fear things that threaten our security and our future. A very prevalent one right now might be war or the outcome of political action or elections, our jobs, the status of our bank accounts. These outside forces threaten the assurance that we have of a peaceful and prosperous future. We fear things that threaten our physical well-being, our health and our safety. We fear disease. We fear sickness. We fear at times the status of our relationship with God. Have I outsinned His grace and His forgiveness? Have I obeyed all the things that He wants me to? Is God, is God displeased with me for some reason? We fear what others might think of us, our reputation. What does so and so think of me? And they only see me as a failure. We fear for the future well-being of our children or loved ones, their health, their education, and the decisions that will affect their future. Should I vaccinate or not? Should I send them to public school or not? How do I protect them from making sinful choices? Side note. Parents, let's not parent based solely on our fears let's teach our kids that god is indeed in control in these areas so do as you feel led in these things and trust the lord trust the lord with your family now we struggle in this that's that's normal the struggle is normal we all do at times and so i just want to remind you as the book of james says there is more grace there is more grace these are all real fears some of them are founded in real things, and others are the way we perceive things. Some rational, some irrational, but either way, fear can drive us. A fear-driven life seeks security, but it is a security outside of what God provides. We see that in Abram's life. It is a security in self, and so it seeks comfort. It, it, it seeks protection, but it's self-protection. And so fear drives us further and further into ourselves. We fear any type of suffering, and so we seek to avoid anything that is discomforting or difficult. A fear-driven life seeks to answer all these things in one's own self rather than finding peace and security in the only place we can actually truly find it. God. Fear causes us to look less toward God. And it treats all these concerns as more important and bigger than they actually are. And sometimes as though they're ultimate. It reminds me of Psalm 10, which we looked at a couple of years ago. I hope you remember every word I said in that message. (laughs) I don't. In this Psalm, David is lamenting. David feels isolated and he feels abandoned by God. And at first he seems to agree with the voice of the wicked man, that God is small and unable to overcome the wicked man. David is fearful and he's not trusting. But then, over the course of this psalm, he's reminded of God's power, of who he is, and his faithfulness. And soon, David's vision is righted. And he sees that it's the wicked man who is truly small, in comparison to Almighty God. And so sometimes we have to have our vision of God righted. But the fear-driven life can rob us of our peace, it can rob us of security, and it can rob us of joy. Again, ufta. Let's look at faith. What is the most frequent command in all of Scripture? It's not be holy, it's not be good, it's not even love one another. It's do not be afraid. Now, some examples of this command already, Earl has read one, one of these verses, not, not in my list of verses, but there are many, many to choose from. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand, my righteous right hand. Psalm verse six. the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? John fourteen twenty seven. peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Philippians 4, 6-7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. One of the ways I like to think of that verse is to think about it in the terms of worrying at God. So when you're worrying and when you're anxious, take that and direct it towards him. Speak to him about it because he cares for you. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And lastly, though there are many more, Psalm 56, verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I read that verse last because it points us to the answer here it's faith. Faith is trust. In the context of Christianity, faith is trust in or reliance on God and his promises, it is believing in the unseen and having confidence in the truth of God's word and work. In the new covenant, faith is not about our own efforts or trying to earn God's favor, but it is about resting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. We trust in what God has done for us through Christ, knowing that he is faithful to his promises. Faith takes God at his word. And it says, I can't see how this all works but i trust your word what are some things that we're trusting first god's promises what is it that god has promised well we need to be clear about what god has promised and we need to be clear about what he hasn't promised god hasn't promised us a life free from difficulty he hasn't promised a life of comfort and safety Did you notice that in all of the passages that I read, telling us to not be afraid, they were all coupled with a promise. They were all coupled with a truth or a reality about God. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Fear not, for I am with you. He has promised us peace. He has promised us his presence. He has promised us eternal security in Christ. And of course, so much more. Jesus promised his peace will be with us. We read it a moment ago from John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He's promised us his presence as well. Matthew 28 verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And elsewhere he promises us that his Holy Spirit will be in us. The Apostle Paul promises us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Not even death. And though we're not promised security in all things in this life, we are promised an eternal security that cannot be shaken. Romans 8, 38-39 for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Fill in the blank there a little bit. What, what falls into those categories, uh, or what, what misses in those categories? Is it, um, you know, who gets elected? Is that not covered there? It says powers, says things to come. Things present. None of these things can separate us from his love. <clears throat> Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus began this, he's not going to leave you. And right now, Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. These are amazing promises. Second, we can also trust in God's sovereignty over all things. God is in control. God doesn't create the evil and suffering in the world. That's sin. Sin does that. But God is orchestrating all things for our good, and his glory so whatever befalls us in this life he has permitted i love chapter 7 of the book of daniel in that chapter daniel sees a vision vision of things to come and he describes himself as being afraid and that he trembles he's alarmed he's fearful And the way that I like to think of it, I know it's not described in the scriptures this way, but I imagine it as though Daniel is seeing this vision of the coming days of several kingdoms that rise to power and fall on this massive big screen TV. They're terrifying uh, rises to power and the the wars going on and all of this displayed right in front of him. In vivid high definition. (laughs) Now imagine this big screen is split in half. And so what Daniel's seeing of these kingdoms and what's to come is on the bottom half of the screen. And on the top half of the screen, he sees what's happening in the throne room of heaven. And what happens there is this, Daniel 7, 13, and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So he sees all the things happening in front of him that are causing him to to be fearful and be alarmed. But then he sees something that is just truer and better. he sees a truer and better reality that is over and above what is visible. He sees that God's kingdom is not shaken by these alarming things. He sees a vision of God's sovereignty and the rule and reign of our King Jesus. When we trust in the promises of God and his sovereignty over all things, we are trusting the true reality over the visible reality. Yes, what is visible is often real. But the true reality, the heavenly reality of God's power, his reign, is greater. And so while Jesus doesn't promise us that this life will be easy or comfortable, that we'll be safe and secure in this life, he does promise that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and that he has overcome John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so Jesus is able to promise peace in the midst of the storm because he controls the winds and waves. He promises eternal security when we face all the uncertainty of this life because he's in charge. And he spoke these very the very world into existence and he holds you in the palm of his hand and so jesus has promised his very presence with you even when you feel alone when fear threatens to just to drive your life and to deprive you of joy and and satisfaction in god remember the true reality remember christ's love for you this is a love that dispels fear his love and peace are the anti-venom to fear and worry. Remember, 1 John four eighteen says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And his love is still casting out fear today. So when we understand and embrace God's love for us, we can find comfort, we can find peace in his presence. We can trust that he's always with us, protecting and guiding us. The answer for fear the anti-venom. the right medicine is to rely on the love of Christ. And so I pray as the apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 that you would understand the breadth and length and height and depth of his love to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now in our passage today, we have seen that Abram forgot this. He forgot this. He forgot God's promises. What happened next? Well, it might not jump off the page immediately to us, but God was with Abram and Sarai the whole time, despite Abram's lack of trust. Some weird things kind of happen as a result of all this. His wealth increases. Somehow God uses this to further his plan. But Abram nearly lost his marriage. And with it, the covenant promise of many descendants. But in the end, what we actually see is that the Lord was protecting his servant and the promised seed. And he afflicted Pharaoh's household. Though Abram failed, God was with Sarai, and he rescued her himself. Abram receives a rebuke. And it's interesting that in this story, the rebuke comes from Pharaoh, a pagan king. He sends them back on their way, and Abram is noticeably silent. We also must note that Abram's struggle with fear will rear its ugly head again. Genesis 20, when a nearly identical situation unfolds, he does the same thing. Because the reality is, we all struggle with fear, and we continue to struggle with fear. We struggle with doubts, and we, dis- we struggle with sins, sometimes in reoccurring ways. But the answer doesn't change, despite ongoing struggles. Trust in the indwelling power of Christ and his love for you. Continue to look to Jesus. Landing this message, I stated last week that the story of Abraham is not the story of his sacrificial obedience, but it's the story about God's covenantal commitment to fulfill the promises of God that he has made. It's the story about God's faithfulness to Abraham, yes, but also God's faithfulness to his word, God's faithfulness to his covenant, and ultimately his faithfulness to send the promised seed, Jesus Christ. In Abraham's story, we are reminded that our foibles and failures, grievous and tragic though they may be, do not define our usefulness to God. Indeed, God seems to be specially drawn toward the weak, the struggling, and sinful. For it is precisely such people who are most open to his saving and enabling grace. The gospel, according to Abraham in today's passage, is that though we stumble and struggle with a lack of trust at times, we struggle with fear and worry, God remains faithful. In Abraham's story, there was famine, but Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus promised us that through faith in him, we will never experience, we'll never experience spiritual famine again, saying, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. He is a table spread before us in the wilderness, and those who are his own will not grow, go hungry. Abraham feared, and his fear was real. There was a logic to it. Our struggles are real. Our fears may be real. But God's promises and his sovereignty, his love are always better. When we allow fear to drive our lives, we may lose a sense of peace, a sense of assurance, a sense of joy. And so, brothers and sisters, fight fear by dwelling upon the love of God in Christ and his peace. Jesus overcame the things that we fear the things that we sometimes find to be insurmountable. He did so by facing the terrible dark cloud of the cross. As Jared Wilson writes, he saw the pain, the betrayal, the darkness of the cross. In that garden with blood and sweat and tears, he felt the weight of the danger he was walking into. And he could have sold out his bride, just like Abraham did. He could have handed us over to who knows what, but Jesus, our truer and better Abraham, did not. He took on the full weight of the cross so that we wouldn't have to. He died to forgive sins and rose again to secure secure eternal life and he ascended into heaven where right now he sits interceding on your behalf. And Christ has united us with him through his death and resurrection. He is fully secure and so if you are in him by faith, guess what? You're fully secure. This reality overturns the fear-driven life. It reverses it. And so once you realize your security in Christ and once you realize that this world is governed by the sovereign God who loves you, it changes everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love that you poured out to us and for us in Christ Jesus when you sent him to take our place on the cross we thank you that we can trust your promises we can trust your faithfulness even when we are not faithful we can trust in your reign and your rule even when we make a mess of things because you have not failed and you won't we thank you that your love for us is secure your love for us is strong we thank you that you rule a kingdom that will not be shaken. And that as the psalm says, you look at the kings and their plans and you laugh. And while these realities seem big to us now, we know that in the end, you win. And that there's nothing that the enemy can do that will rob you of your victory. That will defeat you in any way. But our future is secure. And Father, if there is anyone here who is struggling with worry and fear, I just pray that you would remind them of your love. Remind them of your peace. Remind them of your faithfulness. And encourage their heart today. Strengthen their heart today. I ask that your love would just continue to dispel the fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.